You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hello, episode 62 today with Colby Golder. Just a quick reminder again that we are doing our episodes on Thursday now because of the holiday season and our episodes will drop Thursday morning. Newsletter goes out Thursday evening. So same day, be sure to sign up for the mailing list, link in the show notes or on the website. And then last week in October, October 25th, we will resume regular scheduling with podcast episodes airing on Tuesday and newsletter going out on Thursday. Wolfie and I actually met when I was very new in the eating disorder space. She's one of the first dietitians that I collaborated with, however, many years ago. And so she's a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders and disordered eating. She got her master's degree in clinical nutrition from Columbia, then worked at an inpatient level treating eating disorders, New York State Psychiatric, and then worked at intensive outpatient. So that was at Renfrew, treating eating disorders. Now Colby works at a private practice called Brown and Medina, uptown uh, slash virtual, I guess, these days, and is also on the eating disorder team at Columbia University Health Health Services. Colby and I are talking about perfectionism and eating disorders today. So I'm not saying that everybody who's a perfectionist has an eating disorder, and I'm not saying that everybody with an eating disorder is a perfectionist, but the correlation is pretty, pretty high. And we're talking about why, what the connection is, how it comes out, and most importantly, what you can do about it. So if you're a perfectionist, I know you are, this one is for you. Thank you so much for joining me, Colby. I am so excited to do this. After all of our conversations, we're finally hitting record on one of them. So finally saving it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you today. Yeah. Well, maybe before we talk about our topic, you can introduce yourself a little bit, who you are and what you do. Absolutely. I'm Colby Golder. I'm a nutritionist. I work with people who struggle with their relationships with food in any way, shape, and form. I've worked in many levels of care. I've worked, I did my dietetic internship at uh, the New York State Psychiatric Institute. And then from there, I worked at the Renfrew Center of New York and I worked in their partial hospitalization program and then their IOP. And then from there, I spent the last, well, I think it's about 10 years now at uh, an Ivy League university, and I work with students there who struggle with their relationship with food. And I also work in a private practice. And I'd say there, the majority of the people that I work with struggle with eating concerns, their relationship with food, again, many different variations uh, of issues there. Yeah. So plenty of experience there. <laughs> and I love, I love, you know, the work it's challenging. It keeps me on my toes. And, you know, the most important part is seeing how people grow. 
I love that. Yeah. Just watching point A and C and seeing the difference is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. I love that transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously working with people who struggle with their relationship with food, whether it's in, in the practice or school, I'm sure you come across this. I come across it all the time. The idea of perfectionism and trying to be perfect in some way, shape or form. So we know that they're so connected, perfectionism and eating disorders, but maybe from the get-go, we can talk about what do we mean when we say perfectionist, just so that we're all on the same page. It's an interesting question, you know, and I think I struggled with this myself in talking to, I I use, I'm going to use the word students a lot because that's a majority of the population that I see is students and young adults uh, in particular. Perfectionism can come in many different shapes and forms. And it's it's really what, you know, the person or the student defines as perfect. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what I spend a majority of my sessions with students and and young adults is defining what their definition of perfect means. And for many people, that bar keeps moving, you know, with what they're eating, you know, their definition of perfect means, whether it's getting the perfect I mean, like you can't see me, the, the listener can't see me. It's air quotes, the perfect body or mm-hmm. the perfect meal or the perfect day or the perfect amount of nutrients. But I think it's their, their sense of what perfect means to them. And I think we kind of, we, we spend a lot of time talking about where this comes from, whether it's, you know, media, family, social, social norms. So I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting what perfectionism means to the student or the person that I'm working with. Yeah. Which is also why we always have to continue to ask, what does perfect mean to you? And Mm -hmm. in what context, because some people might identify as a perfectionist and it comes out in school with their grades, their attendance, they have to be on time every single day or on time is their version of late, the perfect meal. But even with food, there are so many different versions of what perfect is. And and because we can't read anyone's mind, we would always have to inquire. What has been your experience with how it applies to disordered eating or eating disorders? Meaning like, what have you seen the connection to be or the application of perfectionism to eating disorders? Mm -hmm. They're highly correlated. So the perfectionistic personality type is highly correlated to eating disorders, meaning that, you know, what I see in an Ivy League university is they're often very high achieving personality types, very, very hard on themselves in terms of grades. And what's interesting to see is I will see people who are struggling with their relationships with food, really, really restrictive, you know, in their eating patterns potentially really acting out with eating disorder symptoms, but yet their grades are amazing. They're doing really, Mm -hmm. really well in school, other areas of their life, they're really, really thriving in, but they they hold themselves to these standards and, and potentially their standards are really restrictive standards, but we see that they're very, very highly correlated. So if it's highly correlated, then I'm assuming the prevalence is, is really high, uh, meaning like in the population of people who struggle with their relationships with food, the chances that the person is a perfectionist is pretty high. Absolutely. However, one thing I will say is that because these standards also seem like they're so hard to live up to, 
the incidence of breaking these rules are very high as well. And I guess I do want to add the, the caveat that I might be making these statements. Not everything is a one size fits all. Not I'm making potentially generalizations and I'm speaking anecdotally to what I've seen. I don't mm-hmm. want to speak on behalf of entire populations or, or top down. Of course, not everybody fits this mold. Not everybody that's potentially perfectionistic has an eating disorder and not everyone that has an eating disorder is perfectionistic. So I do want to just put that out there, but I'm I'm speaking on that's an important point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of what I've seen in my practice and a lot of what I've seen, you know, in this, in some of the students that I've worked with, but I do want to point out that, you know, because the bar is set so high for a lot of the students and people that I've worked with, often these rules and the rigidity around their eating is hard to live up to. So often I call it the rubber band that snaps. So the restrictive eating is so hard to live up to that often that results in the breaking of their rules and potentially restrictive eating might lead to then overeating or binge eating. I don't have statistics on this, but that anorexia restrictive subtype is more than likely a really small subtype of the population because it mm-hmm. is so hard to maintain that level of rigidity and perfectionism. And that oftentimes anorexia restrictive subtype is a very hard diagnosis to maintain. And I see often in my practice, people are feeling very frustrated and angry with themselves that they can't maintain that level of perfectionism. And they say, mm-hmm. I just want to go back to being so restrictive and I want to be so perfect and I want to be you know, able to maintain my rules. And I'll say, that's because your bar is so high that nobody can maintain this level of restriction. You're a human, you have needs, you have basic human physiology, right? And so that, that's what a lot of what I see in a lot of the, the students and, and people that I work with. Yeah. It's interesting. As you're talking, I was thinking about so many different combinations of examples. So the person who is very restrictive, what they're eating, potentially perfectionist with it as well. And however it comes out, whether it's, you know, for a period of time that they're able to be restrictive, or if we're up to the point where it feels completely chaotic, but a result of perfectionism, some of those people in school are doing really well and, and super perfect quote, perfect and appears to be perfect in in every way. And some of them are actually really struggling because of their perfectionist tendencies. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, there's two sides of the same coin and what do they look like? It either appears to be super perfect Mm -hmm. and then you can upkeep that for only so long or they're compelled to be perfect. And then it it almost seems completely chaotic because it's ridiculous. These standards are not able to do it. Um, so, you know, like we, we often see this with obsessive compulsive types that either they're washing their hands all the time or they're super, super organized. Their house is absolutely perfect, or it ends up looking so chaotic because they don't know how to navigate all of these tendencies and expectations that they have for themselves. So it's so hard for someone like that to say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, tidy up the living room today. It's like, what do you mean? I need to fix the entire house from A to Z sort of thing. It's funny. I was just talking to someone this morning who was, you know, mentioning that they exercise every other day. And to them, it was, I don't exercise. I said, what do you mean? You exercise every, every other day. 
that seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, I used to be an orange theory teacher. I used to exercise every day, multiple times a day. So to her, the bar was you have to exercise every day, multiple times a day to say that you exercise. And I said, well, that would not be something that she was 26 years old. That would not be something that you'd be able to keep up with at 30, 35. So, you know, it goes to show this level of perfectionism in comparison. That's another thing that comes up with perfectionism is comparison against other Mm -hmm. people or comparison against past self. Or comparison against future self. Will I be able to do this? Will I be able to run a marathon? Or will I be able to eat in this way in 10 years from now? Or can I eat the way I used to when I was on the rowing team? So, you know, these are common themes with perfectionism. Yeah, I hear that a lot. You know, my six month ago self was able to do this and now I can't do this. And what does this mean? And this is terrible. As opposed to what do I feel like today? Do I feel okay? Am I a little under the weather? I probably shouldn't work out or... Or is my body changing because of something else and and going with the flow? It's sort of like the enemy of perfectionism is flexibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There is something that just crossed my mind in terms of an, another example, because we're talking about how restriction and binging can be very mm-hmm. similar parts of perfectionism. The idea of orthorexia, so the yes. extreme clean eating, or I guess that's just sort of like a very simple way of, of explaining it. How do you see perfectionism come out in orthorexia? Mm-hmm. Comes up a lot. Orthorexia, you know, it comes up a lot amongst students who become really focused on ingredients recently. Mm-hmm. I'm working with, and it's come up a lot around technology too. I'm working with someone now who discovered an app that looks up labels and she uses this. Yeah. She uses this app to screen the labels of every product she buys and without doing any research on the app, won't buy anything unless the app will give the the product a green light. And so, yeah. And you know, the app is not even an app based in the U S so it's based on, you know, labeling not from the FDA. And so she's really, really focused on any, everything being natural, everything being pure, and will be really anxious uh, if anything is not given a green light, if any, if something's given a yellow light, will not buy it. And it makes her social life really, really problematic. So she won't eat at parties. She won't eat in social events. And so that comes up a lot that's very problematic for her. And so it's something that we are working on trying to purchase some things that are on the green, the yellow light on the app, trying to not use the app. Don't be ridiculous, Colby. (laughs) It's, it's, It's been a challenge for her to not use the app, to not take it out, but that's how we work through some of the anxiety of, of that. Yeah. Well, we can talk about uh, specifics about what to do in a bit, but I guess I'm thinking about the entire culture of orthorexia. Uh It's sort of just, you know, people wanting to be healthy and this Mm -hmm. pursuit of wellness, if you will, sadly, a large subset of the community ends up 
having some form of orthorexia, although it just becomes socially normal. Yeah. But I think about a lot of the information that we're consuming about health and wellness, especially, you know, during COVID and how there was so much information about, you know, your BMI indicates how you deal with how your body deals with COVID and Mm. and processed foods and all this information that potentially has, you know, Mm -hmm. some science or no science backing up, but either way, very reputable people are talking about it. And then somebody with orthorexia might take that information and say, okay, so you're saying processed food is bad for me. I will therefore never eat processed food or whatever their definition of processed is again, ever. And then probably not go to any parties and not go on any dates and, and have to cook everything from scratch and never order in. And it's, it becomes so exhausting and limiting Yeah, yeah. that there is, you know, again, this lack of flexibility that becomes ironically very unhealthy. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's where we talk to people about like what health actually means. And we talk about Mm. physical health. We talk about social health. We talk about emotional health and how they're all intertwined and how, you know, you take things and, you know, go from zero to 60 and how that interplays with every area of their life. And is it really healthy to miss your friend's birthday party because you're afraid to eat there? And take baby steps to get them to be able to eat at in social situations. And maybe, you know, they can't jump right in in these social situations, but, you know, we work towards it in a linear, you know, fashion for sure. But yes, that is something that is coming up a lot around, you know, COVID discussions, but it was coming up before, you know, there's a lot of social media stuff, a lot of stuff, you know, over the past years around fears of carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. a lot of like the health and wellness stuff on Instagram that people follow. I mean, social media is everywhere. So we we're constantly dealing with whatever fads are, are coming up that make it harder, you know, and orthorexia and whatever form it comes up and whatever perfectionistic diet someone wants to follow or someone believes is going to make them healthier is something that I come to head with in sessions all the time. Yeah. A lot of my work has to do with really confronting it and Mm -hmm. what is the concrete fear of challenging it? So the fear of X, what are we afraid of from the scientific perspective? What are we afraid of from the emotional standpoint, right? And let's try to work in challenges towards confronting it. So now that you say, I had one question I'm going to put on the back burner, but now that we're talking about this, when it comes to, let's just say specific nutrition examples. Yeah. Um, and, and challenging the fear. So let's just think of an example that this person is, um, well, you know what, do you have an example? Cause I can think of one, but if you have one on your mind in terms of an orthorexic situation or anything perfectionist when it comes to nutrition, and we can talk about that. Absolutely. This is a very interesting one. It actually came up yesterday and I have this client fresh on my brain, a lovely, lovely client I met and just so colorful and like a joy to be around. And I'm really excited to jump into work with him. 
but his perfectionism comes in a different way. He will only eat foods that come from very fancy restaurants. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm so excited to start working with him because I think this will be a new challenge for both him and myself. (laughs) Only eat food. And he, he doesn't necessarily have the finances to support this, but he will only eat foods that come from, you know, very fancy Michelin star or the like restaurants. And if not, he will restrict. And if he can't get that, he does tend to go for the quote unquote healthiest option. So he will restrict or eat, you know, the typical salads, clean quote unquote foods, or he will eat Michelin star type foods. I'm assuming you don't have the answers exactly for this particular person, but as an example, yeah, less than creatively, yeah. you know, thinking about challenging the fear, like uh-huh. what could possibly be the fear if, you know, you didn't order from this really fancy restaurant, what would actually happen? Mm-hmm. Well, he says he's afraid that it's not quote unquote worth it in terms of the calories. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. So he says he really wants to experience something. And if it's not an experience, why eat it? Right. So getting a restaurant so getting a, you know, hamburger or a chicken Parmesan sandwich from the Italian restaurant down the street is not worth the calories for him unless it's going to be from a Michelin star restaurant or Mm. somewhere quote unquote fancy. Right. So our work is going to be trying to get something like that or baby stepping towards that. You know what I'm thinking about? This is something that, that actually happens it's very common where people say, I don't drink my calories because it's not worth it. Yeah. Or, you know, something about desserts, like, is the dessert worth it? I won't have it if it's not worth it. When really, if we think about eating, it's about nourishing ourselves. And sure, relationship with food is so much more than just nourishing ourselves and eating when we're hungry and stopping when we're full. There's, um, you know, connection with other people and satiety and craving and, and, you know, just pleasure, comfort, (laughs) all of that. But when it has to be so calculated about, is this worth it? And I'm doing all these sort of uh, calculations in my mind about yeah. whether or not this is worth it. Then it ends up being that there's so much weight on every snack and meal. Either you skip it or there's so much guilt associated. And at the end of the day, lunch is just lunch. Yeah. You move on and then there's lunch tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And I say like when you're restricting of course it's got to be worth it. You don't know when you're going to let yourself do it again. Mm -hmm. Like you're building it up. Let's kick it off its pedestal. Let's eat more regularly. Let's not make it be such a thing. Of course it's going to be a thing. Right. And that, I mean, that's part of it. He does restrict a lot and everything else is so bland and everything else is so rigid, right? Everything else is so perfectionistic from probably what we would say an orthorexic standpoint, an overly quote unquote healthy, he used the word clean, you know, the, the word clean obviously is a little tainted in my book. I don't love the word clean. I don't, I don't love the word clean, yeah. clean <laughs> um, perspective that everything that, you know, he does want this build up. He does want, you know, his, you know, meal that he does allow himself to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wouldn't have to be so amazing if he ate more throughout the day, or maybe 
he'd be satisfied with other things if, you know, there was more flavor and more pleasure at other meals. Yeah. So and I think to work with, I'm excited. Yeah, no, that sounds really awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially in New York city. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think sort of something that we alluded to before is ultimately if we, if we take a few steps back or have a, a bird's eye view of this journey, that there's obviously a lot of baby steps. We're trying to get people to break some of their perfectionist tendencies and at least just challenge themselves, whether or not it feels comfortable is debatable slash it's not. But the idea is to go from a place of being really rigid about what they want or how they approach the world to being a little bit more flexible. And -hmm. flexibility is about accepting nuances that are beyond your control Mm -hmm. or just, you know, letting life happen, letting things be as they are and, and being okay with it Mm -hmm. is ultimately what we're striving for Mm -hmm. because the perfectionism is this over control. And we know as humans, that's not physically possible. Mm -hmm. And so life is not life so much anymore. And it's, it's terribly exhausting and anxiety provoking. Absolutely. So even thinking about the journey, just collectively, this is about the pursuit of flexibility. Totally. And I think to just kind of go off of what you said, you said, be okay with it. And I think just even in some stages of recovery, it's just tolerating it. Even if you can't be okay with it, it's tolerating it, accepting Mm -hmm. that you might not have liked what happened and just doing the next best thing with your meal and not overcompensating or, and not saying, screw it. That's often what I say. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Because that's, that's often what happens. It's either one or the other. And then, and then like you dig yourself in a hole because it it gets worse and worse from there. I guess I'm thinking about even just like going down that rabbit hole. If somebody doesn't address their perfectionism, specifically with their relationship with food, but probably across the board, how could it become dangerous or, or continue to get in their way? Mm -hmm. Well, I always say with perfectionism or with just eating disorder rules, it often goes in two different directions. Often it becomes rules, build on more rules, build on more rules, build on more rules. And that could lead to becoming sicker and sicker and sicker. And that could lead to needing, you know, more treatment, right? Or just making your world smaller and smaller and smaller. And and that's really problematic and can lead to all sorts of problems. Or again, I, I often use this analogy because I think that this is just such a important way of thinking about it, or just it crystallizes it for me. The rubber band eventually snaps mm-hmm. and then the rules just get broken. And then that could lead to a lot of explosive behaviors, right? So it's, it's more rules or a lot of explosions. Yeah. And, and none of those good. sound good at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. So when we talk about challenging it, there's obviously, you know, the, the things that we do in, in say your sessions about nutrition and in therapy, but say somebody is just listening to this on their own, they have a team potentially, but what are some ways that we can start thinking about, okay, what do I actually do about this? This is terrifying for me. What can I at least begin to do to address my perfectionism? Well, I would first try to think about what are some of the areas where the perfectionism plays itself out? What mm-hmm. are my roles? What are the things that keep me stuck? Where am I being very rigid? How is that influencing my life? Where is it 
you know, really keeping me stuck and making things more problematic and more challenging for me. I can give an example. I'm really struggling to find something to eat at my school cafeteria. So I just don't eat at my school cafeteria, right? Yeah. That's, that's a problem. I go the entire day without eating at the school cafeteria. That's, that's a rigidity issue, right? Okay. Identify a problem and try to make a small step. Walking into the school cafeteria might be the first step towards addressing the rigidity or addressing the problem and then making incremental goals around that. Maybe it's buying one item. Maybe it's, you know, buying a yogurt, buying a snack. Maybe it's, we don't commit to a full meal. It's, it's a, a process. And of course, if, if the person does have a team, the team could help identify measurable goals. Another example could be, you know, rigidity around meal timing. I will only eat my lunch at noon and my class schedule doesn't allow me to eat at noon. And that could be a problem. That's something that comes up a lot, really needing to stick to a schedule, maybe a past treatment center or team suggested eating every three to four hours. And now I'm really stuck in that. And that that's something that comes up a lot. And I know, you know, that's come up in some of my sessions. Maybe it's moving your meals up by five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't have to be as quote unquote dramatic of a change as, as one might think it does, but every small step counts. Yeah, I think, I think that's really thing. important. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's ve that's very important because at the same time of challenging the area in which this person struggles with perfectionism, it's actually challenging the idea behind it. So yeah. in order to do the perfect quote unquote recovery or healing thing, whatever you want to call it, it, it has to be going from, I can have my lunch, I, I need to eat my lunch at noon too. I can eat lunch whenever my schedule allows. That might be the perfect way to do it or the ultimate goal, but realistically that doesn't happen overnight and it right. doesn't happen in a week. So breaking it down, being okay with the messiness of it, and not to say that you're automatically okay with the messiness, but working through tolerating is, yeah, is a really great word. I love that word. These small incremental changes will then sort of build up and even more tolerance for ambiguity and flexibility. And I think that's the work. And a lot of times I'll hear, well, ugh, I only did five minutes and I really need to be eating an hour earlier. And that's such good progress. And I'll hear a lot from a perfectionistic personality type that that wasn't enough. Like even the small incremental challenge, there's even judgment in mm -hmm. work towards the goal that that wasn't enough. But I think that there's so much progress in even these small increments. I don't even want to use the word small because they're huge, small goals, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think also, you know, thinking about when somebody is starting to challenge themselves in, in whatever way perfectionism comes out. And I really love your first step of just identifying how it affects your life because Without that, we don't know which monster we're tackling. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think, you know, something, <laughs> I think we talked about this in the past about the idea of a mistake and what does a mistake mean and what's your reaction to a quote mistake that for, you know, ideally 
somebody would be able to make a mistake and then be like, oh, that didn't really work out. Next time, maybe I'll do things differently. Or I thought that would work. It turns out that was a little bit of a mistake and then accepting it and moving on as opposed to a mistake being the worst thing in the world and it ruined everything. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And Uh then it sort of, it takes them in that spiral. So I think a lot of this is reframing some definitions Mm -hmm. about what goals are, what mistakes are, progress means, all of that. I mean, I think a, like a mistake, again, I'm, with the air quotes, is like information, right? Like sometimes things oh my don't gosh, work yes. and sometimes they do. And where do we go from here, right? And maybe next time things will work out differently. But, you know, next time, you know, you learn from that and not every situation is going to work out the way we want it to, but it helps us learn so that in the future, if you're in that same situation, you might handle it a little bit differently. Yeah. And this is also like, you know, shameless plug for the both of us. I think this is where having a team, a dietitian and a therapist specifically is going to be so, so important because Mm -hmm. without having the support behind somebody challenging themselves through this, especially with the perfectionism, it becomes so difficult to continue to stay motivated and do it yourself because that voice in your head is always going to get louder and say, well, you're doing this wrong. You should overcompensate in another way. And if you have a team behind you, A, helping you with what your goals could be mm-hmm. and B, navigating when you challenge yourself, when it's really difficult, then sometimes it becomes almost impossible to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's good to walk through the steps and look at things in retrospect and see, okay, well, maybe next time I could do this differently, or maybe in the future, if this situation was to occur, I could approach it through this lens. Yeah. Yeah. And again, what you said before is using it as information is going to be the key to be able to do that. hundred percent. So allowing ourselves to think curiously as opposed to through a judgmental lens is going to be the key for this process. Something I want to add, perhaps, you know, so people can remain curious about themselves is that nobody is a perfectionist for no reason. Mm -hmm. It is the kind of thing that always gets in the way of someone's life, whether it looks like it or not. I mean, on social media, or if someone is a perfectionist on the outside, it probably seems like things are great, but internally it always wreaks havoc, whether it's today or tomorrow is the question, but perfectionism is never something that is, you know, I guess (laughs) desirable in terms of functional mental wellness. But I do think for the sake of creating more space in someone's life, creating more flexibility, working through some of the discomfort is to think about how perfectionism potentially could be protective. So how is this helping you, even though it is pretty harmful right now, how is having these standards being really protective for you? So for example, if um, somebody is afraid of, you know, not performing well because a certain reaction from, let's say, their, you know, the people around them were really disappointed and they have to have these high standards in order to be appreciative or have positive responses. And there's so much at stake for not being perfect, whether it's not getting the love or attention or the relationship that they so desire. So, you know, just sort of like, spewing how it potentially could be protective. But I think that it's, it's important to think this way because otherwise, and you can just sort of like think, oh, I'm perfectionist. Well, that sucks about me. And just, you know, go through another spiral that way. 
Can I add to that? I think you make a really good point that sometimes I'll hear from people too, that there's a fear of losing a part of their eating disorder means that they won't care about their body or food at all. Mm, Yeah. And that's not the point of recovery or treatment, right? We know that we live in a normal society where to an extent looks and aesthetics do matter and health and wellness does matter. What we're, the goal of treatment isn't to eliminate that. It's just to eliminate the rumination, the obsession and how it affects everyday thinking and and it affects your ability to operate in your everyday life and it impedes on your happiness and well-being and your ability to be with other people and your socialization. So I, I think I do really want to put out there that it's not that the point of treatment is to never think about food or to never think about wellness or to just completely not care about your health ever again. But it's it's really just to eliminate the stress and the overthinking and the rumination. Right. And maybe perfectionism is a component of that. Yeah. Because ultimately what you're saying is that the only way actually to attain some form of health, meaning in whatever percentage of it is, is in our control is to actually let go of some things. And that might feel crazy to some people, but it really is the only way because the rigidity is ultimately what causes the most harm and stress. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and talk about perfectionism. Obviously we can talk about perfectionism and eating disorders all day. There's so many examples, sadly, Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time. And before I let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Absolutely. You can find me at www.brownandmedinanutrition.com. And my email address is Colby, C-O-L-B-Y at brownmedinanutrition.com. And thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun talking with you today. And I just am so thankful for having this opportunity. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.